the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Great to be together. And it is, I hope you had a celebration for St. Patrick's Day today. I know I did. I put some photographs out on social media and other places if you check them out. But uh, thank you for coming to uh, listen to the Pro-America Report, Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, just as it sounds, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up right there and you'll get the daily wink what you need to know and also you can see all these great interviews that we're doing all the time uh, on the uh, on this great program and so glad you are here all right we have some work to do today and let me preview for you if you're uh, listening live you'll get these uh, great guests in just a few moments if you're listening on a podcast or others please uh, track through dr ken stevenson will be with us ken stevenson extraordinary man i met him in waco texas and uh he's got quite a story air force academy graduate uh war hero in Vietnam, a bomber pilot, and also one of the early, uh, what to say, um, proponents of looking hard at what's called the Shroud of Turin, the Shroud of Turin, uh, Torino. And we'll talk with him in a few moments, a great guy. And also Lord Conrad Black, we'll touch base on him. He said the title of his column, a recent column at American Greatness, is the a balance sheet, the current balance sheet of American democracy. So a lot to cover right there. Okay, first, however, I do want to spend a few moments and talk to you about what's happening up on Capitol Hill. Okay, up on Capitol Hill, there's quite a bit happening, none of it good, or not much of it good, and uh, in particular, they have taken up today the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, and uh, I was really interested to see, and I was uh, pleased and and, uh, and pleasantly surprised that I got an email, uh, I got a, I got a, actually an email, and I got a notification about that uh, Congressman Pete Sessions, our friend who is um, uh, from Waco, Texas. He uh, he tweeted, or maybe put on Facebook, a message about um, about this, about the ERA, and he had it very simply. He said it's great, and it was great, um, great way to put it. He said very simply, the ERA failed in the past because. It was, uh, it was not good for America. So here's the exact, here's the exact language. There's a reason the Equal Rights Amendment didn't make it through to the finish line, through to the finish line in 1982. The ERA could make women eligible for the draft, remove women-based work protections, threaten pro-life legislation, infringe on religious or faith-based job hiring. And he's exactly right. And here's the thing. What Pete Sessions is referring to is the impact of the Equal Rights Amendment. It would make mandatory taxpayer-funded abortion. Period. Actually, right now, at the time, there was a discussion. Would it, what would it do for uh, marriage? Would it make gay marriage a mandatory thing? Well, we saw the Supreme Court already, act, court already acted. But based on what we're seeing, the definition of sex would become the gender would become that. And we'd have constitutional protection, uh, getting rid of the, a discrimination against women and making it uh, impossible to discriminate. You know, it would be impossible to have laws. That said, it's it's um uh it's inappropriate to discriminate against women. You see, it has to be it has to be sex neutral. 
but it would also be impossible to have protections against transgender for for transgender. So you can't have it both ways. Anyway, here's the here's the, the wrinkle on this, and good for Congressman Pete Sessions for jumping up and uh, and making his voice heard and voting against it. And I also got a message from uh, Jason Smith, my friend from Missouri, uh, old friend of mine, who said he voted against it too, and he said, but what they both agreed on. It's just Nancy Pelosi uh, just honoring the far left of her party. That's all she's doing. She's on the left of her party and making sure that they get everything that they want. And so it's, uh, you know, and, and, and it's not going to pass the Senate. In fact, the ERA is dead in 1982. There was an expiration, a time limit on it. And today's vote was actually to remove the time limit. Now, no less an authority than the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg said this was a bad idea said this wouldn't work, said this shouldn't be done. So why is Pelosi doing it? One reason, the reason is to fundraise off of it and to keep her base happy with her and to keep them, you know, going in the right direction. The other one is, remember, part of what happens is you get you get used to things that happen. You get used to things that happen. So when the news coverage is all about uh, the fact that the ERA passed the House or some ERA provision passed the House, part of what they're trying to do is get you used to things like that happening. But it's a real, and, and the other one up there is the Equality Act. The Equality Act is actually the one that, you know, is, is, is less, it's not, a, it's not a constitutional amendment, it's just a law. But so it's, in that sense, it's less dramatic. But in another sense, it's even more dramatic. That one would just say, anywhere you see the word sex in American law, you have to include male, female, and any other gender that somebody has. That would be dramatically transformational. And again, you say to yourself, what is the House of Representatives doing? Did, did anyone think when they saw that the, the House stayed barely Democratic, right? The, 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 the media was telling you before the election in the fall that the Democrats were going to gain seats and the Republicans were not making a good argument and they were going to lose seats. And then Republicans won a bunch of seats, almost 15 seats. So it's a very close. It narrowed the majority and Pelosi barely hung on. Well, she barely hung on, but she she decided it was a mandate to go for every far left thing that she could get. An expansion of the Violence Against Women Act. Nobody's for violence against women, but the federalization of that, uh, of that, uh, the, even the title is, of course, a lie. It's actually the federalization of lots of feminists' uh, presumptions against, uh, you know, against, well, against justice in general, but even more uh, specifically kind of antagonistic to a lot of American values. So that's what's going on in, uh, in Washington, D.C. That's what Capitol Hill, that's what the Congress is considering. Meanwhile, you know, the the uh, the the impact now of the multi-trillion dollar bailout and let's be fair, the multi-trillions of dollars spent last year by the Republicans and President Trump on covid stuff. All that stuff is all that spending is at least making people look and say, huh, where's this going to go? So now we have, and more important I mean, for the day-to-day, -day, we have uh, everybody in the country's gas prices are going up because of the increased regulations and the policies of the Biden administration. We now have lots of concern over inflation because of the spending, talk of more spending. You'll see the media will say, uh, oh, yeah, Joe Biden's approval, approval rating is high. He doesn't go, he doesn't get seen by anyone, and he's always getting his lollipop coverage. And then perhaps the greatest a humanitarian crisis ever caused by a United States president is what's happening at the border. Because what's happening at the border, as I've said to you before, is the cartels are in control of the border. And they are they know now that if you send people up to the border with children, minors, you will get into the country. 
That's what we've told them. Joe Biden said, come. Last night on Stephanie, two, night, two nights ago, I don't know when it was, when, uh, Thursday, Tuesday night, I think, uh, Biden was on Sir George Stephanopoulos' show, and he was asked about this. He said, I can't believe people think that these migrants and others listen to me. I didn't. I mean, I tell them right away, go home. Give me a break. They know the policy shift. So what you need to know is the left, the Democrats, are not going sort of for small stuff. They're going for it all. They're going to transform the country. They're going for the feminist uh, reaches. They're, and again, they may not succeed on all of them, but they're priming the pump. They're getting ready to tell their people, we tried to pass these big things and the Senate blocked us or we couldn't get it all done. And isn't it time now to get rid of the filibuster? And isn't it time now to make sure we get rid of the filibuster so we can get a Supreme Court pick? By the way, there's a Supreme Court pick and just as there's a Supreme Court pick coming just as sure as you can, you know, count the fingers on your hand. Breyer will resign at the end of this term. And here's the wrinkle, crazy wrinkle. Even the New York Times, I was so surprised they wrote this. They wanted Stephen Breyer to retire now because I think there's been 17 times in the last 28 uh, uh, Congresses, there's been a change of of the um, party uh, in charge of the Senate because it was so close. You know, that happened with Jim Jeffords is one time it comes to my mind uh, in uh, back when in 2001 or so. And then, of course, when uh, when Ted Kennedy uh, died, and he was replaced by uh, Scott Brown. That was another example, I guess. So, you know, with a 50-50 split, you know, you're one retirement away from, or, or you know, worse, not just a retirement, someone who passes away. And then some incredible number, like six or seven Democrats are over 75, maybe. So, you know, what you're, the left is now saying is Breyer needs to resign so we can jam through a replacement. We can jam through a replacement as fast as we can. Meanwhile, and one last thing, what you need to know how crazy these people are, the people on the left, and how unashamed they are. Uh, Governor Newsom said he will appoint a black woman to the uh, seat if Dianne Feinstein retires. Now, first of all, why are they pressuring an 87-year-old woman to retire? I guess they just are tired of her. She's been as liberal as they'd want on most things. But here's the thing. Governor Newsom just told, you know, what is it, 40-plus million people live in in California, so let's say 20 million are men. They said, 20 million men, you're not, you're not even, you don't even apply to be the senator. And the 20 million, are, 20 million are women, if you're not an African-American woman, you don't apply either. What you need to know is the far left is so out of touch with where we are as a country, the only thing that will save them is a crisis. A crisis, well, that they'll generate. And maybe election theft. All right, we got to run. We'll come back. We got some great guests. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Very excited to have our next guest on, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson. He is a pastor. Uh, he's kind of, uh, I don't know if it's his day job. It's really his calling. He's a pastor at a church in Waco, Texas, uh, and he is, uh, it's called Everlasting Covenant. I think that's right. But he also has the distinction of being an Air Force veteran, uh, a pilot who is a uh, heroic service in uh, in Vietnam, and then he's written books. He's written a number of books, many of them which I either have or have read. One is called Naza, a White linen and the blood of sprinkling uh, and the other one that i have in, I, I'm, again i said i have he's got four or five books i have all of them one, one is called verdict on the shroud and so here's the interesting thing and i wanted to have him on because i saw him in waco texas last week when i was there um 
Ken Stevenson, as a young uh, professor at the Air Force Academy where he went, he and some friends decided, hey, let's go st- study the Shroud of Turin, the, the famous uh, uh, famous uh, piece of, of uh, linen, I guess, or whatever the whatever it would be, that it was repu- is reputed to be the uh, Shroud of Christ, and it's housed in Turin, in Torino, in Italy. And so they put this together. These, these say, you know, Air Force Academy, I guess you get a bunch of guys that are like, let's do it. So, and for six days in 1978, they studied the Shroud and came back. And the more interesting thing, in my mind, is that uh, Ken Stevenson came back, and he's a pastor, and he talks about the historic reality of Christ and what the Shroud says. So it's a fascinating man on many levels. And so first of all, welcome, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson. How are you today, sir? I am blessed, Ed, and great to be with you. It's a very exciting time that we're living in. I know things can be challenging, but we're also coming up on Holy Week, and for one of those great times that Passover and Holy Week coincide, and what a witness to the Jewish people. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and we, so let me go back for one second. Again, we're talking with, uh, with uh, author, uh, pastor, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson. You're riding in a car commuting to the Air Force Academy as a professor with other professors, and you start talking about believing in God. And tell that story about one of the professors who said, you know, I'm a scientist. Let me explain how this should go. Uh, walk us through that story. You told, me, you told yeah. it to me. It's a great one. D. Derman. We had three Christians and one agnostic. And, you know, and we were discussing God, and he said, you know, God gave me this scientific brain, and why wouldn't he reveal himself to me through science? And on and on and on. And the physicist said to him, what about the Shroud of Turin? Well, I had heard of it. I'd seen it as a cadet at a Catholic discussion group. I was raised Catholic. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And he said, what is it? And the physicist said, well, people believe it's the burial cloth of Christ. And Dee said, has it ever actually been studied? Well, no. (laughs) He said, well, if it was studied and shown to be true, then maybe I would believe. Now, as it turns out, uh, D wrote one of the the forward um, reviews for Nazar because some years later, as he continued to research this um, among, among the rest of us, I mean, we thought a lot of guys thought they disproved it in about five minutes, and it's been a right. long five minutes. And D was <laughs> giving the lecture. He was giving the lecture, and he said he felt like God tapped him on the shoulder and said, you've seen it, you've touched it, you've studied it, you can't reproduce it, and you're proud to be the group's resident agnostic. And he just broke <laughs> down and gave his heart to Christ, and, and wow. he's a great guy, great guy. So, yeah, God is good. It's uh, so, and, and so you, when you studied it, you guys studied it. There's guys from NASA. There's guys that are physics, physics engineers. There's all these different, you know, Air Force Academy. The guys of 40 people went over and studied it for six days, 24 hours a day for six days, 1978. And, um, what did you find? And actually, what, what, I can say it differently. What did you, um, what did you go over there thinking you'd find? Cause you've been already doing some things to, to prepare for it. And, and how did it play out? Well, it actually, one of the reasons that we were able to gather such um, astute scientists, NASA, Jet Propulsion Lab, Sandia, Los Alamos, Brooks Institute of Photography, is that we made this incredible discovery that the image is three-dimensional, that somehow encoded into the very fibers, and in fact, it's actually the upper curved surface of the fibers of the threads, is information that will produce a three-dimensional image. And we got that from a spinoff of space technology. That's a whole other story. But anyway, 
so we got these guys and many of them said well let's go and see they were convinced that it might be a painting that they might find pigment or something like that and when we got there there was no paint there was no pigment there was no dye it took three years a little better than three years to analyze collate get peer review of what we collected in those six 24-hour days but i tell you by that time i would be willing to bet 29 30 out of those 40 were convinced not only that it was a burial garment we we said that when we came back it's a real burial garment we don't know if it's christ but it's a real burial mm-hmm. garment of somebody who's crucified just like Christ, and we can't reproduce the image. And mm-hmm. that was, I mean, we've used laser technology. They've taken uh, corpses and covered them with, with marin aloes and put them in ovens. I mean, they've done everything to try to reproduce this image, and it fails. Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Ken Stevenson and, and his many books. One of them is called Naza White Linen and the Blood of Sprinkling. Very interesting book uh, that includes sort of um, not just the history of the Shroud of Turin and all, but uh, about what the uh, what the crucifixion was was and how it played out. And there's all these different books. But Ken, um, in the 80s, and I will only have a few more minutes, but in the 80s, there was carbon dating. And the guys at Carbon Dating, I'm read, reading one of those books, by the way, um, said, yeah, it was from like the 1300s. And, uh, and, um, and you dispute that others disputed what's the summary of that and why did they get it wrong was it intentional or was it was it a mistake originally i would have said a mistake but having just done the forward for the 1988 c14 dating of the shroud of turin a stunning expose and also having worked with ray rogers who was the first to prove that they dated cotton fibers and not the linen fibers the cotton fibers were woven in after a fire that occurred in the Middle Ages. So, of course, you're going to get a Middle Age date. Um, right. But initially, I would have said it was a mistake. But after doing all the research, it was, in my opinion, very deliberate. Uh, I even have a book by one of the guys who was convinced before ever seeing this route that it was a hoax. And he very politely includes me throughout his book. My son said so much that I should be getting royalties. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The comments that he made, he makes the case because he basically says, oh, well, because Ken Stevenson is a Christian, um, he's not objective. Uh, excuse me. We had Catholics, Protestants, Jews, atheists, agnostics. We were the first equal opportunity scientific expedition ever to study a religious relic. And now you come back and you find that most of these guys not only believe it's Christ, but believe it's evidence for the resurrection makes a whole new case. Hmm. And so what happens next, though? Right. So in the eight, you do this in 78. It's a it's a it's a it's an all star team of uh, scientists and others has a huge impact. One of the books that you, I guess, edited and wrote, it becomes a bestseller. But then in 80, in 88, 10 years later, there's this carbon dating. It sort of puts the damper on it. And a bunch of the frankly, a bunch of the custodians of the of the do, of the document, including uh, uh, the archbishop, I think, of, of Turin, the Catholic archbishop, who's the who's the caretaker or, or whatever. He kind of says, oh, yeah, I guess it's not it or whatever. So here we are, 25, 30, 40 years later, I guess uh, 30, 30 plus years later, where are we? What happens next or what's the story? Well, in my opinion, and one of the reasons I wrote in this, uh, I thought I was done when I wrote Image of the Risen Christ. But the Lord made it clear I had another book to write. And what I began to find is that, number one, you hear the term a lot, fake news. 
that carbon 14 date was fake news, but it has real consequences. And when you look at the facts that I was able to uncover in scripture, things I didn't know. Remember, I've been involved in this thing for 44 years. I didn't know what was hidden in scripture. I didn't know what was the original Hebrew. I didn't understand that word Nazar will blow your mind. I'm sure you know. And yep, yep. when you start looking at that, here's what I think is next. And I think it's most important. And I am doing all in my power to get that message out there. The shroud was not, in my opinion, as much for the Christian church as it is for the lost sheep of Israel. And when you compare mm -hmm. Isaiah 52 and 53 with Zechariah 12, and then you find out that Paul is quoting Isaiah in Romans 10 and 11, and he says, the, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, all Israel shall be saved. Well, listen, Ed, the time of the Gentiles, if it hasn't already come, which I think it has, when the Jews in Israel first took authority over the Temple Mount after that terrible tragedy that occurred there a couple of years back. It was the first time that they actually took authority over the Temple Mount. My opinion, time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. My Bible says all Israel shall be saved. Zechariah says hmm. it this way. They're going to look on the one they pierced and mourn for him. But let me ask you a question. Christians believe mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back. The Jews believe the Messiah right. is going to be revealed. If the Messiah were revealed today as the King of Israel, would they mourn or would they cheer? I think they'd cheer. If Christians mm -hmm. saw Jesus coming in the clouds, would we mourn or would we cheer? We would cheer. So the question is, how are they going to look on what they've never seen and mourn? And why mourn? Mm -hmm. Because they're going to see the Messiah of Israel dead. And that matches mm. Isaiah 52. It says his marred body and his marred face is going to sprinkle Nazar and startle Nazar. Kings will shut their mouths because that would have not been told them. Shall they see? I got mm. a question. How can they see yeah. it unless there's a picture? Uh-huh. There you go. Wow. Well, yeah, you did that better on the radio than you did when I saw you last two weeks ago. So, uh, well, listen, I, I think it's, I, I think it's extra. I'm, I'm sitting here sort of stump, uh, dumbfounded. So, uh, I got to run, unfortunately, I run out of time. Dr. Kenneth Stevenson, he's on LinkedIn. You can track him down there. His book is Nazah, N-A-Z-A-H, other books. And I think you're going to hear from him some more, uh, in the coming days. Uh, thanks, Ken, very much. We got to run. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, checking back in with our old friend, Lord Conrad Black. He's got a new piece up over at American Greatness uh, a few days ago now, um, uh, late last week, but I came circling back to it because it's uh, it's on the topic that may be the most... There's lots of crazy things that are happening up on Capitol Hill, including, you know, re as we've talked about, renewing the ERA and uh, all kinds of left. But the big one is HR1, and you can tell by the number, is that's the number one priority of Nancy Pelosi and what it would do to our country is what his column is about. But before we get to that, Lord Black, let me ask you, Piers Morgan walks off the set of what looks to me like the British version of, um, I don't know, uh, uh, the old uh, Today Show or something like that. And yeah. it makes a huge deal because he wanted to defend the Queen, I guess. And what's the real backstory here? What's going on? Well, I don't know all of it, but he, um, he, he came to the conclusion some time ago that Meghan Markle 
was just a sharper who was really <laughs> intruding in the royal family and causing problems unnecessarily. She wasn't a, a, a woman who had legitimate grievances against the royal family the way up to a point Diana did because, you know, no one knows what goes on in someone else's marriage, but clearly uh, it was a triangular relationship that Princess Diana had with the, with the, the Prince of Wales' present wife, and, 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 and there were there were legitimate causes for disagreement there. And uh, Piers' view is that Meghan Markle is essentially uh, an opportunist who, who um, uh, joined the royal family and simply started to disturb things in a way that he found annoying and, and uh, disruptive of an institution. Now, Piers is not a terribly formal guy, and he's not a royal courtier or anything like that, but, but he, he does have a view that the institutions of the country should be respected and, and people should behave honorably when they're in or around the, you know, the, the monarch. And, uh, you know, we have, the British have a, a, a queen who has served with absolute distinction for 69 years. She's never once in 69 years embarrassed anyone or put a foot wrong. It's an amazing record. And she will be 95 next month. And, and she has a, a, a rock star, rock hard approval rating in the polls of 80 percent, 80. And yeah. and Piers wow. just feels that that you know, Meghan Markle's antics are undignified and that she's basically a fraud. And, uh, and that's mm -hmm. what he said. And, and, you know, some people disagree with that. So he he, he, he said that uh, I happened to hear from him the other day that uh, on the day that this incident took place, they passed the BBC and became a top-rated program in their in their slot, and it was a good time to quit. He was quitting while he was ahead, and he has no fear of getting another job, uh, just as good a job, and and with a uh, uh, and with a crew that he likes better than the person he was operating opposite in that program. Hmm. And uh, and he he is that big a star, right? I mean, he is, right? So he'll he'll land somewhere. I mean, well, he's, he, got he, plenty he's, of, he's not yeah. exactly a big star, but he's a guy who's been around a long time. They, they know him. He's I the see. editor of one of the big newspapers. He he was the host uh, uh, of a number of television programs, and of course, he was on CNN for a time. He's seen in England too, and, and so he, he's he's a journeyman. He's not a, he's not a dazzling star, uh, right? Where where he'd come out and have fifty people's you know, chasing for his autograph, but he's a well-known figure, and and uh, and reasonably well liked, but well-known, well-regarded, competent, and and uh, he, he can land on his feet. You know, he's a very capable yeah. professional journalist, a nice fellow. So he's good. All right, let's yeah. Yeah, let's, let's let's switch over to this piece, HR one, and the, here's the title of this, which I think is really as we're talking with Lord Conrad Black, who's uh, of course his track record is as a publisher and a businessman, but also a historian, He's written uh, three or th three or four volumes of history, and the title is the current balance sheet of American democracy. And you go on to talk about HR one. That's a big title. I mean, that's a big title, uh, and and meaning we're close to the balance sheet getting off balance. So walk us through why it's such a big moment. Well, the, the concerns I've got, first of all, on, on House of Representatives Bill Number One, it, it changes the concept of election day into 25 days, 15 before and 10 after the election. Vote when you want. It eliminates all challenges to eligibility, all challenges to verification of, of, of ballots, mm -hmm. all, all challenges based on residence. You can vote even if you don't live in the in the 
state. You, 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 you can vote anyway in that state. Uh, it, all challenges of that kind are simply put aside. Uh, it, the matter is removed. Anything to do with the election is taken away from the courts and given to an election commission uh, whose composition will will reside with partisan politicians. And uh, and it, it is it, it specifically approves of ballot harvesting. And so it's going to make it is going to make the elections absolutely wide open to people who are illegally in the country uh, voting twice, voting from outside the state. As long as their ballots are sent in, they're counted and there's absolutely no verification procedure at all. It's a straight ballot stuffing contest. And and that, in my opinion, is extremely dangerous. Now, the, the other headings under my uh, analysis of the balance sheet of democracy included uh, you've got a 98 percent conviction rate in criminal cases, 95 percent without a trial. It's not a criminal justice system at all. It's just a conveyor belt to the prison system. Uh, you, you had the Supreme Court abdicate on the issue of the uh, integrity of the presidential election. They just wouldn't hear the case from Texas, even though it was supported by 18 states, uh, and, and it's an original jurisdiction since it was Texas against other states. It goes automatically to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. not by appeal, and, and, the, and the Supreme Court ducked it. Now, one assumes that, that they didn't want to touch it because if they had overturned the election, result, given that President Trump had, had put on three of the justices, it would just be too huge a controversy. I understand that as politics, but uh, but as democracy, it's not great. I mean, if the Supreme Court isn't going to adjudicate an issue where there are very real concerns about the integrity of the election result in the election of the president, then you, you have to wonder just where your democracy is going. Now, I don't want to be an alarmist. Of course, the U.S. is a democratic country, small d democratic country. But but these are these are very worrisome things. And if you can't guarantee fair elections, uh, an active and neutral judiciary, a fair vote counting process, and a criminal justice system that gives the defendant any chance at all of, of being uh, found not guilty, then uh, you know it, it's time it's time to clean it up. I mean, it's not time for a revolution or uh, national despair. But usually, the United States is going to have to do better than this. Ed. I mean, this this won't do. It isn't really a society of laws compared to other sophisticated democracies in prosperous countries like like Canada or Australia or Britain or uh, France or Germany or Japan. I mean, they, they don't, they don't uh, have conviction rates like that, and, and they don't have that kind of problems in elections. And uh, we're done with Lord Conrad Black. Unfortunately, time flies. I shouldn't have wasted my time with the Piers Morgan, so I, I've only got about a minute left. Um, you, you, um, it, it, what the media had to admit, Washington Post re- retracted a story where they basically had said President Trump uh, strong-armed uh, uh, the Secretary of State in Georgia. They took it all back. It was the basis of the second impeachment. I guess my point is, how how can you how can we expect to win in with this environment in terms of the media? And I, I just have less than a minute. Sorry, but wh- what's your thoughts yeah. on that? I just feel like we're up against. At all. Yeah, here I think I can be more optimistic. Trump hate will die. It's dying now. 
uh, I think he's in the perfect position. He can give six or eight or ten speeches a year and stay as what the U.S. has never had, a leader of the opposition. And, and, uh, and, and as long as he's quiet, the dislike of him comes down and the Democrats will have to govern. You see the horrible mess they're making at the border. Uh, and more and more yeah. of these things are going to come rolling out about their past lives, like the one you mentioned in the Washington yeah. Post. And all they've had, all the Democrats have had for five years is Trump hate, but you can't govern with yeah. Trump hate when Trump's not there. All right. Conrad Black, be, we love you. Thanks for being be here. Back. He'll be back, Don. Trump will be back. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got to run. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The chief reason why the liberals have been able to spread the lie that the U.S. Constitution requires separation of church and state is that the last two generations of Americans were not taught anything in public school about our religious heritage. Here are a few quotes from our early history. Christopher Columbus wrote, It was the Lord who put into my mind the fact that it would be possible to sail to the Indies. The inspiration came from the Holy Spirit, because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. In 1607, when the settlers landed in Jamestown, Virginia, the first thing they did was to plant a cross and claim the land for Jesus Christ. William Bradford, governor of the Plymouth Colony, wrote that the mission of the pilgrims was to advance the gospel and kingdom of Christ in the remote parts of the world. The pilgrims signed the document known as the Mayflower Compact. It was made not with each other, but with God Almighty. The document began with the words, In the name of God, Amen. The Northwest Ordinance, enacted by Congress in 1789, required that all schools be instituted for the purpose of teaching religion. It stated, Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. George Washington's famous farewell address warned us never to forget that the United States cannot be maintained without the indispensable supports of morality and religion. Benjamin Franklin at the Constitutional Convention said, I have lived long, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. If your child is in public school, ask him if he was ever told any of these important facts of our American history. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great uh, to be with you. And don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com is where you can find the entire show as a podcast. You can also find the best segment, all our segments there. Uh, so check that out, ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, great, uh, great stuff over there. So many great interviews, as, as always. All right. Um, today, let's finish up with a sort of update, okay? This is a very important update. It is it is what I think will be a continuing update on what I call the state No, let's say it better. Let's just call it yeah, an update on an update on quote what really happened in November 2020. End quote. And what I that by that what I mean is I think we're finding more and more details and facts and again evidence about what happened in November 2020. And the newest best example is the stunning reporting uh, from the Epic Times. I mean, the coverage is what I'm looking from the Epic Times, in which a Michigan judge has ruled that the October 2020 ruling, guidance they call it, but the ruling by the Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, Democrat elected, uh, she in October, she said ballot signature, ver- ver- ballot, the ballot signature verification rules, which she promulgated, the, a Michigan judge has ruled them un- uh, 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 that they were unlawful. And what happened was on October 6th, 2020, less than a month before the election, Secretary of State, Democrat Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson promulgated a special set of rules. He called it, the judge said it was really a rule which amounted to a law which was against the law to do. Because she said, as to signature matching requirements, she flipped the, um, she, well, she didn't flip. She, she said that Benson said, that the uh, that the ballot, the signature verification in these guidances that were issued must the, the, the clerks of each of the counties must um, must prefer, must not question signatures. They should be in favor of uh, that they are verified. In other words, that the the standard should be instead of, you know, uh, trust and verify, it should be assumed verified unless something big happens. And in fact, when they went into the details of it, so that the guidance of the court says, quote, quote, must perform their signature verification duties with the presumption that the voter's application or envelope signature is genuine. You see what's going on there? So now you don't have to check. You can presume the standard is you can presume that they're legit and not even check. So but here's the question. If that was promulgated by the secretary of state and trust me, I ran the election board in St. Louis. When the secretary of state of your state tells you this is the ruling, it does affect what you do. So now we have a Michigan judge saying, yeah, there wasn't. So there were some things that were not lawful. There were some things that were not regular that rose to the level of a, of a problem with law. Now I have told you that I, I don't I haven't seen yet, and then the, and the and the media will say there's no proof, no proof presented in court, no judge has ruled, but I have yet to see the evidence, all of the evidence, factual evidence that would persuade me that these elections were fraudulent. But I've certainly seen evidence that there's stuff wrong, there's stuff going on. I've certainly seen evidence, and so have you, and now we're seeing it out of Michigan, that gives you reason to doubt, to have lack of confidence in the election, right? So now we see that in Michigan. Maricopa County, I'm told, has a serious legal issue. Georgia has an issue where the uh, the mail-in ballots there's there is a problem with pr- uh, proving the uh, the the chain of custody. The chain of custody is you know who got it first, handed off to this person, and every time when it's something like. 
like ballots, you have to sign for it. So you have a chain of custody. It's like when you send a, a letter uh, by FedEx and you want a signature required. It's because you want to prove where it went where, along the way, how, when someone got it so they can't say they didn't have it. So a chain of custody when it comes to ballots is if, you know, if the precinct captain uh, or the precinct um, uh, level uh, workers hand it off to the uh, to this, the, the um, local office, uh, you know, local election official, they'd sign the paperwork. And if the local election official passed it on to the county or to the state level, every time you'd sign that and you'd have the chain of custody. Well, the chain of custody in Georgia, they can't find the paperwork. As I mentioned, in Maricopa County in Arizona, real questions on some some of the uh, what happened. So here's my point. Every single day now, we're starting to get more evidence that the election was irregular. It's not evidence yet of fraud. It's not evidence of, of, a, of a nature that you'd say, oh, the election should, be, you know, should, should have gone the other way. Yet, and, and let me be clear, I've said it over and over again, we have a president. The Constitution and the process delivered a president. And he is there. It's Joe Biden. No one thinks that there should be a, a change in that. Absent some circumstances we can't see, like Joe Biden directed fraud, I don't see any evidence of that. So, but what we do, by the way, what I would say about President Biden is he doesn't have a mandate. He lost everywhere in the country except his race, barely. And so he shouldn't be running around with a mandate. But more importantly, what I'm saying is this. There is increasing evidence, you know, bits and bits and bits, that there's real irregularities. That the people's lack of confidence in what happened is not just real. It's not just, um, uh, you know, kind of present. It's significant. It's significant. You know, we haven't even gotten to the fact that Wisconsin had a similar set, a similar change down the stretch. You know, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania down the stretch, they had uh, changes to their election, the, a mail-in uh, system that was done by uh, done by judges, right? State level judges. And that's so it's a little different than in this case where the secretary of state did it. But I've said to people that when I look at it broadly, I don't think that there was one plan to steal an election. I don't see that. But I think there was a system of how you go about trying to impact what direction things are going. And did you notice, by the way, one last comment on this. There's no, I haven't said a word about the election systems, the computer systems, the software, any of those things. You know, we haven't even heard. I mean, all those allegations, those are different categorically. This is just about how the, how the mail-in ballots, this massive shift uh, was handled. So, all right, that's all I got today. It's an update. And let me tell you, though, on the state of what really happened in November 2020, I think we're going to find more and more and more over time. And it's going to make an impact on we the people in this country. All right, we got to take a, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to know our technical director, Joanna, for helping book guests. And to you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. with Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.